Next Saturday could perhaps be one of the most important dates in America's history. It's a national day of prayer. And unless you're living under a rock, I'm sure you're aware that our nation is under severe stress right now. There's things going on that you and I have not experienced in our lifetime. And if something's not brought to a culmination, it's going to get worse. And so this message I want to bring to you today, I believe, is a way that we can put an end to the strife. It's not going to happen overnight, but I believe we can do so. I put this as our opening scripture today. It's part of a four-verse passage in Proverbs. The very first uh, begins... As it says right here, listen to your father who gave you life. Listen to her who gave birth to you rejoice. Another Bible proof besides Psalm 139 that life begins at conception. And one of the things that's taking place in our nation today, I believe, is a blight on our nation. is the taking of life, the innocent life in the womb. And last year, the New York legislature passed a law that says they can have abortion right up to the moment of birth. Now, anyone who holds life dear knows that this is wrong. And I believe in my own heart that if nothing else brings this nation to its knees, it's going to be if we continue to allow our unborn children to be murdered in the womb. Now, this is not my message today. This is my launching point. How many of you uh, like history? I'm not surprised. Okay, there's some hands going up. I asked the teenagers this the other day, how many like history? And believe it or not, quite a few hands went up, and I was surprised. I hated it when I was a kid. But there's one thing about history. There's an old axiom. I'm sure you all heard it. For those who don't know history... We're either bound to repeat it, and it usually refers to the bad portions of history. So, with that in mind, I want us to take a look at some scripture. So, if you have your Bible, please do some page turning with me. Go to the book of Jude. That's the book, that little book right before Revelation. Because if history is going to teach us something, I'd like to get the history from the Bible. We're looking at Jude. We're going to begin verse 5. Now, Jude, when he was writing, was going to say something else. And then he had this afterthought as he began to write this letter. He says, Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their own home, these he kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And I like the King James expression, called it fornication and strange flesh. They serve, and here's what I want you to hear, they serve as an example. That's the key word. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, we know that eternal fire is just that. It's forever. 
All right, now what do we have here? We have a New Testament, New Covenant writing point us, us to an Old Testament example. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Father, I pray, take us off the radar of the enemy. I pray, Lord God, that you block out all kinds of, of chaos or any kind of interference that would come on this meeting. And I pray, Lord God, that your words would go forth with strength and with power and with conviction. In Jesus' name. So this is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, Paul is a special apostle. He was appointed later on during the time, and he was appointed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I'm sure that most of us, any of you who claim to be Jewish, we're Gentiles. So as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's writing this letter to us. Now, Paul is a New Testament, New Covenant writer. And he's writing to the Gentiles. He said, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers. What does ignorant mean? This is the key issue. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant means without knowledge of fact. It's just simply that, without knowledge of fact. So he says, I do not want you to be without knowledge of the fact, brothers. Specifically stating, brothers, that's believers, right? That our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They all ate the, <clears throat> the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, let me emphasize what that says. There were probably two million people left Egypt on that trek to the Promised Land. Probably two million. Only two got to enter the Promised Land. Two out of two million. Now these things occurred, and here's that word I want you to hear again. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us... That's us, believers, New Testament, New Covenant believers, from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We would call that orgies today. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Sexual immorality. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happen to them as what? Examples. And were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So we have two cases Two New Testament writers, two New Covenant writers said, look to the history of the Old Testament for examples of what we should not be engaged in. Well, that in mind, 
if we're to look at to the Old Testament, to the history of Israel, then it behooves us to look at what happened. After they came, after they did go into the new, uh, into the promised land, and they set up their, their uh, abodes, they had judges. And after the time of judges came the time of kings. They rejected the judges. They wanted a king. And so God says, all right, if you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. And the first one he gave turned out to be pretty sour. But God was not going to allow that to be <clears throat> the standard. So he put a king on his throne. His name is King David, a man after my own heart. And David was pleasing to the Lord because he sought the Lord in everything he did. And as a result, he built up the kingdom of Israel to the point where no one dared mess with them. They were the powerhouse of that area. In fact, as David neared the end of his reign, no one came against Israel. Just as the scripture says in Proverbs, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so he established a kingdom and he passed it on to his son Solomon. And Solomon took over as one of the wisest among men. And that kingdom grew even stronger and people brought tribute to that land. And so the nation of Israel grew in strength and power and recognition. But then this wise man made an unwise decision. He took 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I'm wondering about the wise thing. As a result, they brought their religion, their pagan worship into Israel, and Israel began to falter. And when Solomon passed on his reign to his son Rehoboam, Rehoboam continued to deteriorate the situation, and that nation split in two. And so we had the ten northern, king, northern tribes and the two southern tribes. And so the nation that was supposed to be unified under the direction and power and the sovereignty of God had now split in two. The northern kingdom set up their own kings. And over the period of time, not a single king feared God. Not a single king led the people in the direction of God's design. <clears throat> I want us then to turn to 1 Kings, chapter 16. As time progressed, as the kings got worse, we came to a king named Ahab. Now, King Ahab was the standard for ungodliness. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. He reigned in Samaria over he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He did not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Jezebel was the high priestess of Baal worship. <clears throat> if you don't know what Baal or Baal worship is, Baal was a symbol of the god of the harvest, actually. But this god, this idol, required a sacrifice in order to worship and serve him. And that sacrifice was the sacrifice of children. 
those children would be burnt in the fire. The fire was set in the belly, but all the children were set on the hands and they would roll into the fire. So young life was sacrificed to Baal. That was the requirement. So what did, what did Ahab do? He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Seraboam, but he married uh, Jezebel and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now one thing we note, leadership is vitally important, and the king is the head leader of all the people. And as the king goes, so will probably go the nation. So what did Ahab did? He led the Israelites into sacrifice of children. Now if that wasn't bad enough, as it continued down the road, not a single king ever, ever acknowledged God as the sovereign of the northern kingdom. In 740 B.C., the Assyrians came in and made a first strike on Israel. It was a warning shot. They took people captive. They destroyed some stuff. But it didn't get their attention because they continued to follow after Baal. And as a result, in the reign of a a king named Hosea, Israel came in and made the final strike destroyed the entire land of Samaria or Israel, took the people captive, took them off, never to return again. And so, first strike 740, final strike 721. Well, the Scripture says that Judah also followed after these practices. But she didn't get the message about her brothers to the north. And so she continued to follow these practices. However, one thing about Judah, they would occasionally have good kings. In fact, they had one of them was Hezekiah, and he brought reform to the land. But nonetheless, the people still were influenced by what happened to their northern kingdom brothers and sisters. But after Hezekiah died, his son took over. His son was named Manasseh. If you go to Second Kings... Second Kings chapter 21. Second Kings chapter 21, beginning verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. You realize that's 14 presidential terms. 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt, rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. And by the way, Asherah pole, that's the female consort of Baal. 
She is the seductress. She's the one that brings people in and then Baal gets a hold of them. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, he bowed down to all the starry hosts, worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I have put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practicing sorcery and divination and consulting mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their forefathers. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray as so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord said through the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with all his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria, that was the northern kingdom, and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab, again the northern kingdom. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their foes because they've done evil in my eyes, provoked me to anger from the day their forefathers came out of Egypt till today. Verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Number three on that list is the hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion. We call it women's rights today. It's nothing more than Baal worship. So he has declared now the southern kingdom is going to go. But what happened? The next king to come on the scene was a king who feared God. His name was Josiah. And he brought reform to the land. But however, 55 years of Manasseh plus two years of his son Ammon had already determined what the people were, what their hearts was. Josiah brought reform. He got rid of all of that stuff. But when he died, his son took over. His son also did not fear God. And so very shortly after that, brought about the strike of the Babylonians on the southern kingdom, which happened in 607 B.C. First strike, a warning strike. Turn back to the Lord or it's going to continue. They didn't listen. And finally, the final king, Zedekiah, rebelled against Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I've had all these people I'm going to put up with. And he came in and completely, totally destroyed Jerusalem 
knocking down the temple to the foundation, knocking down the walls and knocking down the buildings and carried the people off into captivity, completely, utterly destroying the southern kingdom. This happened in 588 B.C. Okay, so we're seeing history. Our New Testament writers have said, check out history. It's going to teach you something. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know the facts. So what does that have to do with us today? I just said, they're examples, right? Let's take the recent history of our own United States. In 1963, the Supreme Court found in the Constitution called the power, the separation power of the, of the church and state. 1963. And so they said prayer will no longer be allowed in our public schools, thereby kicking God out of our public education. In 1973, after a ruling in New York that gave unlimited access to abortion in 1970, the Supreme Court agreed with them and said it's... The Constitution says it's okay for a woman to remove that thing from her body if she so desires. And so abortion on demand became the rule of the land. 1980s and 1990s saw the rise in the, the promulgation of gay rights. 2001, anybody remember what happened in 2001? Remember the Twin Towers in New York? They came tumbling to the ground, didn't they? Just a matter of hours. There was another building involved with that nobody talks about. But September 11, 2001, marked something that took place in our nation. A warning based on what we've already decided about God, that he's not pertinent, that he's, his laws do not constrain us. And so we had the strike in New York, September 11, 2001. Well, this church and many other churches around the nation for the first six weeks were filled. looked like people were repenting. looked like they got the message. It looked like we were going to turn around, but lo and behold, after six weeks, the flags quit flying on the cars and people quit filling up the churches. So what happened later on? 2015. 2015 was a landmark decision when the Supreme Court of the United States said that marriage was no longer between man and woman, but between any combination you wanted, thereby striking down God's covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And right after that, in celebration of what took place, the White House, which is the high executive branch of the nation, was lit up in the colors of the rainbow, celebrating gay pride and the release of them to do as they please. What's the rainbow? Wasn't that God's covenant with man that he would never destroy the earth again with water? The rainbow belongs to God. Does it belong to a perverse group? So what has happened? Over this period of time of almost 60 years now, we have seen God kicked out of everything that is pertinent to our lives. Now, let's do a little review. 
Let's go back to the northern kingdom. First strike, 740 B.C. Are you a math genius? Final strike, 721. How many years is that difference? Do you know? Nineteen. Southern Kingdom. Warned ahead. First strike, 607 B.C. Final strike, 588 B.C. What's the difference? Nineteen. Hmm. First strike on America, 2001. What year is this? What's the year difference? What's the official name of the disease rampaging the uh, world? COVID what? I'm not a prophet. I don't pretend to be a prophet. I am a teacher. I was called to be a teacher. Teacher gathers facts, presents the facts to the students. The students takes what information they get and makes their own decision. I look at history, which he says, which the writers have said, are examples to us. And I see these numbers, and I see it repeated over and over again, and I say to myself, this could be a very serious time in our history. We've never experienced what we've experienced now. You guys have to wear masks when you go into stores. You have to wear masks when you go out in public in certain in certain cities. We have to follow guidelines that we've never had to follow before because of a pandemic. And the numbers around the world are staggering. India alone, the numbers are incredible. We see pestilence in the Mideastern countries, locusts like they've never seen, the plagues they haven't seen in decades. We see our West Coast burning with fire. And I mean the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho. The smoke from those fires are being experienced in Europe. Is this a wake-up call to us? Is this a time when God says, if you don't get this right, it's the end? It may be the end of America as we know it, a a country of freedom, where life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is supposed to be our standard. But is it possible that could come to an end? Could this be the year? That's why I say, next week, September 26th, Saturday, National Day of Prayer. If God said, I'm going to destroy the northern kingdom, and he set a date, I'm going to destroy the southern kingdom, he set a date, is it possible to change his mind about us? Mick brought it up in one of our meetings. There's definitely a possibility. There's definitely something we can look for, and it's in the little book of Jonah. We all know Jonah as Jonah and the big fish. That's, that's the story we're always related to. But the point of the book of Jonah is this, that God had another nation, another place.
place that was going to be destroyed because of their wickedness. And he sent Jonah to proclaim to it, If you do not repent, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the map, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Jonah hated the Assyrians. And by the way, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the one who destroyed the northern kingdom. There's a good reason why Jonah hated them. But after his experience with the fish... And God called him and said, the word came to Jonah the second time, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to them that if they do not repent, I'm going to destroy the city in 40 days. But not wanting to mess with the big fish again, Jonah went. And he went through the city. It says a three-day trek through the city. And he proclaimed that message to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, as I said, 40 days and they were gone. They were obviously evil. 40 days. And they heard the word that Jonah proclaimed, the word of God. And it says they repented in sackcloth and ashes from the king on down. And the king made a proclamation. No one is to eat or drink. No animals is to partake until we hear from God that we've been spared. And what do we know about Nineveh? God spared the city because they repented in sackcloth and ashes and turned from their evil ways and in a process saved themselves. So that little message in Jonah is a message to us, to us who claim to be the children of God, to those of us who have allowed this to take place. Over 60 million of our would-be citizens have been destroyed by proclamation of our Supreme Court, which should never have been held up. If nothing else, if any of those other things I mentioned doesn't bring judgment on this country, that one thing will. So September the 26th, Saturday morning, 10 o'clock here at this church, we're going to gather together. We're going to go before God. And we're going to pray that He will hear us, that we will turn from our wicked ways, that we will reject the things that we have thrown in His face so that our nation will be turned around. So there's hope. The book of Jonah gives us hope. Any questions? Any comments? I'm encouraged by a prophecy that's out there. A prophecy has been written for some time. In fact, I'm going to read a little bit out of it if I can, if I have it. America, I have chosen you as the launching platform for the worldwide assault on the spiritually oppressed peoples of the earth. People will say, How are we chosen? It's as if America's frozen. Am I not the God of the universe and of all creation? I have heard the cries of my people that have sought my face, and I will heal their nation. People will ask, how will I do this? I shall do this in two parts. First, the Spirit of God says, Army of God, out of the darkness I command you to rise and take your place, for I have given you extra time, mercy, and grace. Go, go, go. Do not slow down. Begin to take and hold your ground, for there are more. there's no more time to waste. America will once again be the great light. The enemy will say, oh, the light, the light, it shines so bright. There's nothing else left to do but take flight. And indeed they will. The sign will be a mass exodus in the natural. 
as the spiritual flea. Second, the Spirit of God says, the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper, the President of the United States is the spiritual gatekeeper. I have chosen this man, Donald Trump, and anointed him as President for such a time as this. Can you not see this? For even in his name, Donald, meaning world leader, spiritual connotation faithful, Trump, meaning to get the better of or to outrank or defeat someone or something, often in a highly public way. This man I have chosen will be a faithful world leader and together with my army will defeat all of America's enemies in the spiritual and in the natural. You will see it manifest before your eyes. I will use this man to shut gates, doors, and portals that the past president has opened. He will open gates, doors, and portals this past president has shut. My army shall not be silenced. They will begin to see he is the one I have chosen. They will begin to rally around him and keep him covered in spiritual support. As you gain ground, they will say America is not frozen. So there's hope. There's hope for our future. There is a little two-letter word, single syllable. That word is if. These things will all come to pass if. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If. If we're willing to step forward, if we're willing to humble ourselves, if we're willing to pray, if we're willing to seek God's face, if we're willing to turn from our wicked ways, then God will heal our land. Father, I pray this message will hit the ears and hearts of every man and woman in this nation. This message is going to come from many pulpits, many places, many churches, many home bodies. And I pray, Lord God, that your people will respond in kind and come in mass and come in unity, in humbleness, seeking forgiveness, mourning for that which has taken place, that we've rejected you. And in the process, we'll see this nation, America 2.0, a nation that is a light shining on a hill that glorifies your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.